Well, Daniel chapter 9, we, we come back to this text, really a prayer in verses 1 through 19, and then prophecy in 20 through 27. I think I said a couple weeks ago that certainly this has to be one of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture, and certainly it is one of the greatest prophecies in all the Word of God, and it's found in Daniel 9, 20 through 27. This is vital. This is important for us because it concerns the nation of Israel and it concerns, as you will see, the end of the world. Let me read the text and before I get to 20 through 27, let me just read the opening four verses so that you'll catch in where we've been. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned, I love this, my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then he prayed and we looked at that in verses 4 through 19. Pick it up now in verse 20. While I was, see he just wants us to see it together. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh Daniel, I have now come to you, come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your plea for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for the iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and anoint the most holy place. Know therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word, to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed. And 
He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, how we need you today. Even though that Gabriel came and was sent, he wanted to give Daniel understanding. Oh, how we need that understanding today. Do that work in our life, we pray in your name. Amen. It was Gabeline, the, the great commentator, who said that the prophetic message that Gabriel brought from the throne room of God to Daniel, he said is perhaps the most important, not only in the book of Daniel, he said, but in the whole Bible. End of quote. I, I think that's true. Certainly, this book gives us prophecy. This may be the most important, not just here, but in the entire Bible. Now, remember the context as we step here, just briefly. Daniel is writing to the people of God at a time when Israel was exiled to Babylon. If you remember in your study and learning of at least the history of the Old Testament, there were two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already been taken away into exile, defeated by the Assyrians in 722 BC. So the northern kingdom was taken away. And now, at least in Daniel, the southern kingdom has been taken into captivity. And they went, I said, you know, months ago at three different deportations. They were taken away in 605 BC. Daniel went with that group. Then there was another deportation in 580, or excuse me, 597. And then finally, that third deportation in 586 BC, they ransacked the temple. And remember when Daniel was taken away, I told you that he was probably 15 at that early part in chapter 1. Remember we've said for a couple weeks, at least to the date of what I read, this is 67 years later. So he is now probably 82 years of age. And as he's thinking and reading and meditating, he drops to prayer because look again at 9-1, just to touch on that, it says that he perceived in the books, I'm in 9-2, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now you say, what's the context there? Well, either he, he's reading the word of God, but as he's reading the word of God, he's taken out at 15. It's 67 years later right now, and he is refreshing Jeremiah's prophecy, if you will. And so we probably know exactly what he was reading because it says at the end of verse two, namely 70 years, okay? And then I think it will come up on the screen in Jeremiah 25, 11. Here's what Jeremiah had prophesied earlier that the whole land, speaking of Jerusalem, shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. 
that was prophesied. It, so it, they're going to serve him. You say, well, what will happen? It says this in Jeremiah 29, 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And then this phrase, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, the place being Jerusalem. There are some scholars who think that this is one of the greatest evidences of the inspiration in all of the word of God. He is telling what's going to happen. He's going to take you away for 70 years, but he's going to bring you back to this place. Now, I don't know if I've maybe mentioned this. Why 70 years? Why were there 70 years? And certainly we looked at the beginning that they were disobedient, and that is true. But one of the clear reasons for 70 years beyond just a general disobedience is that Israel as a nation was disobedient to a very clear commandment of God. It was an agricultural command. Because the Bible was very clear from God that they were to plow and harvest their fields. And you can probably finish the sentence for six years. And then in the seventh year, they were to let the land, what? Rest. You say, ah, he just threw that command out. No, he didn't. That, that was called in that seventh year, a sabbatic year. And the sabbatic year was based on a week of years, if you will, a week of seven. And they failed to obey the command of God in Leviticus 25 for 490 years. What that would be, and I'll explain this in a moment, is 70 times 7. And so God says, you've disobeyed this command, 77s, for 490 years. And so he takes them into captivity for 70 years. Listen, if you're here and you're thinking these are just commands that come out, especially for the nation of Israel, and we can take or leave them, whether it's in the Old or the New Testament, you're wrong. When God gives a command, at least to the nation, he wanted them to obey it, and they did not obey it for 70 times 7. You say, well, Scott, how do you know that? Well, it's always proven by the scripture. 2 Chronicles 36 he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him. That's obviously Nebuchadnezzar. And to his sons until the establishment, miraculously accurate, to the kingdom of Persia. Now we're looking back on history. Persia was tiny when he came into Babylon. Now 67 years later, you could see the prophecy until the establishment of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days that it lay desolate. Sadly, why? Because they were taken away. It kept Sabbath to fulfill, what, 70 years. So he sends them to Babylon by way of prophecy for 70 years. And has Daniel 
I, I mean, he just strikes me. He's 82. He's not cruising into retirement. He's on his face. And he's reminded of Jeremiah's prayer. And so he finished it. Look at verse 19. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. And here's the motive. For your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people who are called by your name. I love that. And maybe as he, as he finishes praying or he's not finished, you would ask the question, and maybe you do, and I want to help you with this. I want to help you see this. The question would come, is there a future for the nation of Israel. What does the word of God say on that? And I would say yes. Maybe another question is, has God forgotten this nation? Has God forgotten his people? And my answer would be no. And so as he's praying, Daniel receives the answer to his prayer. And beloved, I think he was about ready to get the surprise of his life. That instead of dealing with 490 years that were behind him, God gave Daniel a vision through Gabriel that looked into the 490 years that lay ahead of him in the future. Okay? So here's what we want to look at in 20 through 27. And I am doing my best. I think it will take me three weeks. I've been moving at a fast pace here, but I've got to slow down. Here in 20 through 27, Daniel is given three directives, at least in a big picture, that reveal the future of Israel and the end of the world. The future of Israel and the end of the world. I'll just give it to you by way of overview because he's going to give an overview in verse 24. But first, it's the person sent by God, 20 through 23. That's Gabriel. Then we'll look at the prophecy set forth by God whom he sent to Gabriel. What did he actually say? It's a prophecy. Then thirdly, the period of time that has been secured by God. There is a period of time. In other words, God's not up in heaven wringing his hands, not sure how it's going to end. He's going to tell you exactly how it ends, and he's going to state it in years, and you know us here. I'm not going to interpret that figuratively. Stay with me. I'm going to take it literally that if he sent them 70 times 7 for disobeying the years of that agricultural command at the end of those 70 weeks, 490 years he brought them back, then I think he's going to say something very specific to us. So let's dive in, okay? The person sent by our God. The person who is sent by our God. Put your eyes back on 20. While I was speaking, back in chapter one, right? And praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting, he says here, my plea or supplication before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my 
God. I, I mean, there you have it. He's speaking just what he did. We don't have to go back. Praying, confessing, and presenting. Those are, if you must know, four verbs. That's what he was doing in verses 3 through 19. And while he was doing that, look at verse 21. While I was speaking in prayer... The man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening offering. Beloved, I think this ought to encourage our heart. He's praying, and the moment that he's praying, in that time frame of that prayer, God dispatches an angel He came to his need right here. He came to him, did Gabriel. He says, if you see that in 21, you can write this down, I'll allude to it. Whom I had seen in the vision at the first. He's obviously referring to chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. A man was there, and that man was Gabriel. And so this man, Gabriel, was not only there in the vision of 8, but he's here Again, he was sent by God to answer Daniel's prayer. You know what's really neat about this? It, think of Gabriel. 500 years after Daniel, it was Gabriel who told Mary that she had been chosen to be the mother of Jesus. He's always making big announcements. It was Gabriel who told Zacharias in his prayers in Luke 1 for a son that it would be answered. The Messiah later on in chapter 9, the prince, the anointed one, will be revealed. So we have a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ here. And 500 years later, it would be Gabriel who introduced himself in Luke 1 to Zacharias. And here's how he introduced himself. He said, I am Gabriel, Luke 1, who stands in the presence of God. So here he is, he's, a, he's an angel. He appeared as a man and I think he comes back as a man here. He, he has the appearance of a man and he comes back and he leaves the throne room of God and he comes down to the special messenger, Daniel, and he's got a word for him. In fact, it says there, look again in verse 21, he came to me in swift flight. So I want you to see that Daniel's on his face and as he's praying, you know, it's the dispatch comes out. Gabriel comes. He gets there before he uh, is finished. Help is on the way. He dispatches Gabriel. Now, he dispatched him at a particular time. I'm just trying to show you the text. Look at it in verse 21 at the end. He said, he came to me in swift flight. I like this. At the time of the evening sacrifice. At the time of the the evening offering. Now, you and I know that there's not an evening offering. And there hasn't been for at least 67 years. But Gabriel comes to Daniel at the time of the evening offering. 
which would be in the temple at 3 p.m. daily. And I think he's going back in his mind as a young boy living in Jerusalem before the departure. And he's looking and maybe seeing the smoke arising out of the temple. Maybe he's even smelling the smoke of the sacrifice that would be offered. This happened daily. It happened at 3 p.m. And then during that sacrifice, there would also be prayers lifted up. You say, what's the point? I think the point is, I think Daniel is praying. Remember when it said in Daniel 6, three times a day, I think he was always praying at 3 p.m. He could not offer the sacrifice, but here is this man of God throwing his, you know, his lattice open, if you will, to pray three times. I think one of them was right here. Now, I don't want to get too metaphorical here. Jesus Christ, our Lord, would die at 3 p.m., So it was at the time of the evening offering. It was the time that the greatest sacrifice would ever be made when Christ would be lifted up on the cross and die. And so here I think Daniel's praying because that's what they would do in the evening sacrifice. They would offer the sacrifice. Sins were confessed and lambs were sacrificed. And Daniel, just touching, is faithful Okay, to the evening offering, even though there hadn't been an evening offering for nearly 70 years. You say, well, why did Gabriel come? Thanks for asking. Look at 922. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you I have in the ESV skill and understanding. Actually, I have insight and understanding. Some translations say skill. I want to give you insight into chapter 8, into chapter 9. Look again at 23. At the beginning of your plea for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly, I love that line, esteemed, greatly esteemed, greatly loved. He's 82 years of age and you say, well, that's for Daniel. No, that's for you. John 13 as well, Jesus said, I have loved you until the end. It says in the word of God that you love me because what? I loved you first. It says in Ephesians chapter one, in love, he predestined us to make us his children. If you've ever thought that God has left you or departed from you, you're wrong. Here is a man that's 82, the angel is sent And he says to Daniel, you're greatly loved. You're greatly esteemed. He's of old age now. And Gabriel says this to him. Look again in the text, okay? Therefore, and I'm in 23b, consider, he says it again, consider the word and understand, do you see this? The vision. Now, you'd be left as I was asking What vision, okay? Well, there's not a vision in chapter eight. So just for a second, look back in chapter eight. He gave Daniel the vision of the ram and goat. And 
Gabriel appeared to him earlier. Look at verse 15. And when I, Daniel, here it is, real clear, had seen the vision, 8.15, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood uh, before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so there was the vision. It could be that he's talking about the vision as well in chapter 2, in chapter 7. But I think primarily when he says, I want him to understand the vision in verse 23, I think he's going back to chapter 8. So it very well could be that the vision that Gabriel describes in chapter 9 moves us back. Now you remember that even after Gabriel explained the vision in chapter 8, look again at verse 26 about what Daniel said there. 8.26, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told us is true. But seal up the vision and here I believe that's Gabriel said for it refers to many days from now. Seal it up. And I, Daniel, 827, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went to the king's business, which is cool. He went about his day. But I was appalled by the vision and I did not understand it. So even though Gabriel told him the vision, you're still getting the honesty of this man's heart He said, I was appalled by the vision and I did not understand it. So he drops to prayer in Daniel 9. He's praying, if you will, the promises of God and Gabriel is sent back to help him understand the vision. It's interesting, I've read that in 23. Look at 9.25. He even says again, we'll see this in a moment, know therefore and understand. And so here, Gabriel is sent to give us this truth. Now, I think he's gonna surprise Daniel because he's not gonna look back on it. I think he's painting the future. You say, well, why do you say that? Scott, well, look back, if you will, in chapter 8, okay? He says this in 8.17. So come near where I stood. So he came near the angel. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for what? The time of the end. Is it just the 70 years? He probably thinks that. But I think he's talking about the end of the world. Look at verse 19 of chapter 8. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be, watch this, at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. And so he's going to say, he's going to release you back, you're going to go back, but I think this vision is going all the way here to these four empires to come and beyond that, all the way to the end of the age. Look at chapter 8 in verse 26. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, and here it is again, for it refers to many days from now. And so it seems that Gabriel's 
response here is not only directed towards the end of Jerusalem's captivity in Babylon, uh, but also describes the role of Israel all the way to the end of the world. So listen, what I'm about to tell you, the person sent by God is the angel Gabriel. They often appeared in men he did here again. But that's the person sent by God. But you ask the question, what does Gabriel say? Well, let me take you now secondly to the prophecy set forth by God. The prophecy set forth by God. What did he say? Well, again, you're holding in your lap or you have it turned on the word of God. And this, he came from the throne of heaven in the presence of God down to Daniel. And he said three separate times, I want you to understand. What did he say? Look at verse 24. He says there in 924, 70 weeks, are decreed about your people and your holy city. Stop there just for a second. 70 weeks have been decreed, okay? Literally, you're reading, I I, I wanna explain this to you, about 70 weeks. But in the Hebrew, the word means 70 sevens, okay? If I were to tell you I'm going to be leaving Grace Church to go on a mission and I will come back and I will come back in a decade, you would all say that I would come back in how long? 10 years. I didn't say 10 years, but we use that word to describe that. When you see this phrase, this is important, 70 weeks It's talking about 77s. In Hebrew, that phrase for seven can refer, and I don't mean to be long here. I don't want to be pedantic with you. It could refer to days in the context, or weeks, or years, okay? But here, and not only here in nine, but in 12.7, in verses 12, 11, and 12, in Revelation chapter 2, 11, 2, and 3, in Revelation 12, 6, in Revelation 12, 14, in Revelation 13, 5, it refers to years. So he's talking about 77. So when you see about 70 weeks, he's not just talking about our week, he's talking about years. One of the reasons we know this is that the prophetic week, if you will, is based on 70 years in Daniel 9, verse 2. We know that Daniel has years in mind, not days. So literally, 77s in 924 is 70 groups of 70 years. A prophetic week in Scripture corresponds to seven years. Nothing else seems to fit the context here in either 490 days, literally, or 490 weeks, at least as the passage goes, it's years. And I think I would say this to you, 
Most Bible teachers, almost all of them, take the weeks here to be years, okay? It's a reference to 70 years. So now in this text, it says 70 times seven. So take the weeks as literal seven-year periods. 70 weeks refers to 70 time periods of seven years each for your people and for the holy city. Let me put God's mathematics together, and I don't mean to strain you on this. That is 490 years. I think you get it. 70 times seven is 490 years. Let, let me just, uh, let me show you something. Turn in your Bible over to Leviticus. This does not come up. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Look over there in Leviticus 25. This is, and this is all over the scripture. This isn't disputed, okay? It says in, excuse me, in Leviticus 25, look at it. He says in verse eight, I am in, you shall count, couldn't be clear, seven weeks of years, seven times seven years so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall be, shall, it says, give you, there it is, 49 years. So he's dealing with one week, right? Seven, seven weeks is likened to seven years. It comes out to 49 years. Look again, just the next page at Leviticus 26, verse, uh, Leviticus 26, verse 18. And in spite of this, he tells them, he gives them a warning, does God. In spite of this, 26, 18, uh, if, if, if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again, what does it say? Sevenfold for your sins. This is how we're numbering that. Look down at verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me, this is Leviticus 26, 21, and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. So 70 weeks or 70 times seven is 490 years. Now look back in Daniel chapter nine. Look back and I wanna show you something very important. This 70 weeks, or some translations just say 70 years. They're divided into three periods of time. I just want you to see this. You say, what do you mean they're divided into three periods of time? I'll explain this in the weeks to come. Look at verse 25. It says, know, and know therefore and understand that from going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. In other words, seven years. That's time frame number one, 49 years. But he puts them together. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled 
time. And so the first one is seven weeks. They'll rebuild part of the temple. I'll explain that. Secondly, there's 62 weeks. Now, you know that that is likened to 434 years, okay? Those two time frames, you say, well, does this matter? Of course it matters because God matters, and we're teaching, we've got our Bible open. I'm not gonna do this figuratively. I don't think it is figuratively. You've got 49 weeks, then you've got 400, and, uh, which are years, 434 years, that's that second set. Those two times, time, those two sections equal 69 weeks and 483 years. Now, You say, do people differ on this? No, not really. Most commentators, and I have over 100 volumes in my library. This is pretty common if you're taking this literally. 434 years plus the 49 is 433. Now look at verse 26 again, okay? And the 62 weeks, an anointed one, that's going to be the Messiah, shall be cut off, verse 26, and have nothing. Now, I don't want to get into it completely here, but there's one guy who goes to a great argument from the time the decree went out in verse 25 from the time that that was given, depending on that decree, if it's Artaxerxes in 445 BC, it was exactly 483 years later to the date that Christ entered into Jerusalem on a donkey on on his triumphal entry. Now, I'll look at that with you, okay? next year, whether that's exactly how it went. Maybe there's other people who time it to his baptism, but you're holding in your hand a book that's going to tell you the future. You're holding in your hand the prophecy all the way to the end of the age. Did I do the third one? You can see that the third one is, look at it in verse 26, He shall make a strong covenant, does it sound familiar, with many for one week. How long is one week? Seven years. How long does the tribulation last? Seven years. Look at it in 27. And it says, and he shall put an end to the, uh, an end to sacrifice, 27, an offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That is the Antichrist. So there is a gap here between the first 69 weeks that are historical in nature that tell us about the coming of the prince the Messiah, there's a gap, and I believe that's the church age that Paul talked about in Ephesians. And then there's gonna be a seven-year tribulation that will end at the second coming of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Scott, how, how, how accurate is that? I think it's very accurate. Look back, if you will, 
at verse 24, okay? 70 weeks are what? Decreed. What does that mean? 70 weeks, the, the person sent is giving you the prophecy by God, has been decreed. In other words, God has determined a time frame and a purpose. You say, for who? Well, let me point you back to the text. Look, it says there about your people and about your what? Holy city, okay? Who is Daniel or therefore Gabriel addressing the Jews? I want to be clear with you. Whenever you're studying, you have to identify the audience. Some will want to spiritualize the interpretation here and refer to the people as spiritual Israel, i.e. the church. They refer, some do, to the holy city as to the heavenly Jerusalem. But I think what you have here is a specific reference made to Jewish people. I'm just reading it. It's made to them as a nation. It's made regarding the holy city, Jerusalem. And beloved, if you catch anything today, catch this. I think God is saying, I am not done with Israel. I am not done with them. I have not replaced them. There are some categories of theology it's called replacement theology they see the church now coming in and along with Jewish people that are being saved and they've replaced Israel with the church no I'm telling you do you hear that that means my time's up you know those which you say do I set a do I set a clock? Yes, because I'll drive the workers over there, you know, crazy and the children. Um, but uh, he, he's got this, I didn't even get to half my message. This is just, I think God's saying, I'm not done with the Jewish people. I've got future plans for the nation. Clearly, this, that thought of replacement is not bound up here. Can I give you three broad views and then I'll finish and I didn't even get to what I wanted. There are three main views surrounding this and I'm not trying to be technical with you but you have to know this and some of you I know are noble Bereans and you would be asking this anyways. So if I don't get to it, you'll say, well, what are three main views? Number one, and I'll give them to you. What do you think? It refers, some say, to the events surrounding, lots of people on this and many, the events surrounding Antiochus Epiphanes. He came into the temple, he took the blood of a pig and sprayed it in the altar, and he committed, no doubt, and we looked at that a couple chapters later, but they find all of it in Antiochus Epiphanes. And the thing that falls woefully short to me on that one is if you look at verse 24, you're reading about what happens at the end of the 70-week prophecy to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity. So clearly, Antiochus Epiphanes is not in that picture. Secondly, the seven sevens 
are under, 77s are understood figuratively. There's people who would not want to get lost in the 483 years and then there's a final year and you might have got lost even when I was giving that. And so they interpret figuratively and not all wrong because they just take us straight into the new heavens and the earth. They bypass the millennial kingdom. But thirdly, and there's more on that, the passage refers to literal events up to Christ that fulfills the 69th week and then there's one week left of seven years which is the tribulation. You say, well, what's gonna happen at the end of the 70 times seven years? Look, I'll tell you. Gabriel says, he says, this is for your people and your holy city. Now, by the way, I don't wanna make it last thought here. The church is not mentioned. And many people believe because the church is not mentioned, we will not be found in that seven-year tribulation. It's interesting in the book of Revelation, when you get to the bowls and the judgments, the church is never mentioned from chapter 4 until chapter 19. And we believe in the rapture at this point. You say, well, what am I saying then? I'm saying that I believe this 70th week is designed for Israel as a nation. You say, what will happen? Look at verse 24. Six things. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint... What does it say? A most holy place. You say, what do those mean? I'll have to tell you next week, okay? You say, is there a timetable for all of this? And my answer is categorically yes. You say, what do you mean? Is there a decree? Is there gonna be, how will we know when these seven plus 62 get to 69, then the Messiah's cut off, he's killed, From when? Well, thanks for asking. Look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince. There shall be seven weeks and then 62 weeks and so forth. You say, well, what is that? The word to restore and build Jerusalem. I'll tell you next week, okay? But listen, our, our world isn't just flying by. We're on a course here leading into the 70th week, one week, which is seven years, and who's gonna emerge out of that is a figure known as the Antichrist. You say, what's the hope, Scott? Well, there's great hope because at the end of those 70 years, okay, verse 24, it says there, he's going to finish the transgression. Obviously, he died on the cross, but I'm looking at the language. He's going to put an end to sin. I mean, the last time I checked, I still sin. I know that he's broken the power of sin in my life and your life, according to Romans, but he's gonna one day 
put an end to sin, to finish the transgression, we will then look on him and Israel will look on him, the one whom they cast it out as their savior. And then he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. I'm still waiting for that, aren't you? I mean, the last time I checked, righteousness doesn't rule here. In fact, understatement of the century, sin rules. Lack of responsibility to sin rules. But there's a coming day at the end of the 70th week where the second coming will bring those six features to conclusion. May we, by like, by a Daniel, be found faithful to be on our face. Amen.